Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. I'm excited. It's a bit of an experiment. <laughs> the vibe I was is thinking, very casual on our podcast. You guys are a little bit more formal and professional, which I, I appreciate. Oh, it oh, doesn't even well, feel that way from our side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, who's got the Capricorn energy coming in? Well, I do have, uh, it's not in my sun, moon, or rising, but almost everything else on my chart is Capricorn. Really? Like, oh my god! I was getting so much Capricorn from this podcast because just the here. practicality of it, all that oh. in Capricorn. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hi! Oh, hello! Hi! Hi. Hi! Sorry, I'm late. Oh no worries. All good. I told them yeah, you have a okay. child, so you know life is unpredictable. Very gracious. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just start with sun sign and like moon sign and rising? Amanda, would you like to start? I'm Amanda Adams and I'm a Aquarius sun, Leo moon, Libra rising. And what did you call it? Stelliums when you have four or more planets in one house. Mm. Um, or it could be one sign or one house. Yeah. Hi, I'm Nicole Muller. I'm a Libra sun, Sagittarius moon and Aries rising. I'm Sarah Thibault, and I am a Scorpio Sun, Scorpio Rising, and Capricorn Moon. Oh my God! Which part? <laughs> Capricorn Moon. Well, the Capricorn Scorpio double wham. Uh, it's like a weird intensity combo. and practical, like intense, practical, intense, practical. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Work hard all the time. Wow. But it's like you have so much dedicated to the the um, the the unscience of the unseen that that's also very not Capricorn. And um, so anyway, carry on. Oh no! Well, it's your turn. What are you? Okay, so I I have this problem that nobody knows what time I was born, <laughs> and oh, every no. few years I call my mom to try to figure it out, and it's always like nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So. It's a little unclear. We know I am a Libra, and then yeah. I have Scorpio and Cancer, like big heart with an edge. Awesome. I love it. Nice. I now realize how spoiled I was with my, like, <laughs> I had a cross stitch hanging above my bed growing up that had, like, my birth date and time. And so I was like, I, I will always know that I was born at 11, 18 p.m. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> and recently then, because you're Aquarius. Oh yeah, actually my birthday is in a couple days. Oh, so coming up. I'll be I'll be 32 on Tuesday. Happy birthday. Oh, That's thank like you. The Jesus age, right? Where you're like reckoning with yourself. Oh god. Sorry. We'll see no. what happens. Not in a bad way. <laughs> no, I'm ready. I mean, I feel like I it's been a reckoning of self, but you know, what hasn't been? Right. Should we kick it off by like talking a little bit about our relationship to one another and what motivated starting our respective podcasts? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. 
Well, Amanda and I met in art school, so we both attended the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, where Amanda still lives, and I'm in the West Coast in San Francisco, but we were roommates, and so I think some of the ideas that seeded the what would later become the podcast started when we were living together um, in those first couple of years post-art school, and I had graduated with a degree in painting. Um, Amanda was photo and you know we were just trying to figure out what we were going to do so it was really great to have that foundation of friendship where we could just exchange ideas and um, concerns and thoughts and like what we were learning but we started Beyond the Studio podcast in 2017 when I had just moved out to the Bay Area and Amanda pitched the idea to me so maybe she can tell more of this story but it was really a way for us to keep collaborating. I'll let you tell the rest of the story, Amanda. It all started with rejection. <laughs> I was trying to get a job, and I was like, I'm definitely going to get this job. I'm almost certain of it. And then I found out that I didn't get the job. And uh, Nicole and I had like always been talking about what we were learning in our work and lives as roommates and... I was like, maybe we could do some kind of a podcast and I don't want to do it by myself because it sounds terrifying and overwhelming and like, I don't want to hear myself talk. (laughs) Even when I edit, I'm like, oh God, the sound of my own voice. I always loved the conversations Nicole and I had together. So I was like, maybe we can record them and maybe we can ask artists who have figured out problems we don't know the answers to. We can ask them how they figured it out. And it rolled from there. And this year... We've been doing it off and on uh, for a few years, doing a seasonal approach, and this year we decided to try to commit and release episodes all year, every week, so we'll we'll see how that goes. It feels ambitious, but we're also really excited to let the podcast take a bigger role in our lives. Um, it definitely is still a labor of love. It's not like paying our bills, but it's paying its bills most of the time. Yeah, and I think at the heart <laughs> of it, we wanted to be able to have conversations with other artists about their career path specifically, like how they were building their lives and sort Mm -hmm. of everything outside of and beyond the creative process or beyond the studio. It definitely has uh, an emphasis on how artists are making a living, how they're putting the pieces together. And I think it's expanded over time, especially, you know, in the last couple of years with the pandemic, just what, what that encompasses and, you know, the boundary between our our work and personal lives is so blurred, um, especially as creatives. But that was really the motivation for it, I think, is wanting to understand how artists were making a living. And just personally, I had just moved out to San Francisco and trying to figure out how to make it work as an artist. And Amanda also runs a a business full-time in Baltimore called Close Call Studio. And so I think we both were just interested in learning from other artists so that we could apply that to our own lives. Sarah, I'm trying to remember how we met initially, um, but you were running this really great lecture series called The Painting Salon, and I had attended a couple of those. I think that's how we got connected with each other. I think so too. And then I remember seeing you at this house in the Mission where there was an art show and I don't know if you were invited oh, or if you were in. I forgot about that. Too. Were you also in that show? Yeah. Oh, man. We were both show. in this little group show. Yeah. Very, it was this, these, at Brian Chesky's house. Yes. 
one of the founders of Airbnb's girlfriend, who is also an artist. And it was this collective of these two women who were like, we're going to do cool happenings with art. And it was like a white party, white colored clothing. And everyone there was there to see art, but also there was a fashion element to it. And I think Vogue ended up covering it. Oh, wow. It, it was like the... It was so weird. A soiree is like the only way to describe that event. It was one of the first events I had even participated in in San Francisco. And I was like, wow, like what is the Bay Area? It was just like this themed party yeah. at this tech CEO's house. and It was very strange. Liz and I know each other because Liz started a gallery in Oakland called Royal Nonsuch Gallery, and I became a co-director. I don't know if you remember that you were in our ugly painting show, and that was before I even knew about the painting salon. Well, and I remember I was in a show even before then when Carrie was still one of the directors. But yeah, I, I kind of remember Carrie, but not your face in that moment. Womp, womp. <laughs> I know, but but now I do. And the reason I started the podcast about a year ago, and Liz is now the co-host, because running a podcast by yourself is overwhelming. And I thought, well, I have a really particular point of view on spirituality, and I'm into stuff that is very out there, and I would love a different perspective someone who agrees with some of it and doesn't agree with some of it and has their own interests that they can bring to the table. So I remember um, the first time I saw the painting salon, I don't know if you described it or, but it was two artists who would come and give a very personal yet very contextualized lecture about their work. And it felt really emblematic of the Bay Area where you have this art world, but then you have this community of people knowing each other and it feeling very intimate. And so the stories and the way we would all mush into little spaces felt very much like a part of the culture. Yeah, and like Margaret Tedesco throwing her two cents in. If there was an artist that she knew, she would just like basically talk alongside their presentation, <laughs> fill in historical details, which... She's like a Bay Area um, fixture gallerist. She worked at SFAI for a long time. And then she runs like a archive of all of her past projects. Um, but that's definitely underselling Margaret, which we can talk about in another time. I feel like that's a good place to start. Why I wanted to have you on the podcast is this interlap of the spiritual and the practical and how one is rooted in the material world and one is rooted in the metaphysical world but they both are tools that are inseparable when you're an artist trying to make it in this really uncertain profession in a world that is like increasingly uncertain i know when nicole was first presenting the idea to me of talking to you guys and i've been able to listen to your podcast and i love the idea of talking more than just the art, just the business, because I think that the observations and experiences that we have in our self-discovery and in our relationships, they lend so much to our creative practices. Nicole and I always want to dive into our beliefs and ideologies and spirituality more when we can. 
Yeah, and I think when we first started Beyond the Studio, it was definitely from a practical standpoint. Initially, we were thinking um, that we would have these conversations with artists about the nuts and bolts and be talking about things like what are their different income streams? How did they get this opportunity? Um, stay in that territory but you know the more artists that we talk to and especially as time has gone on those conversations have broadened and we have realized how interconnected all of these different aspects of our work and lives are and so we have been able to have conversations with artists about yes like how are they practically taking steps to further their career or like how are they developing relationships but it's also had a lot to do with um, just the, the emotional side of that and how do you, w- within a career like the arts that is so self-defined, I think a theme that kind of comes up a lot is just this idea of self-awareness, knowing your own strengths, weaknesses, limitations, and how do you kind of, you know, roll all of that into a, a lifestyle or a career that works for you? Because obviously, I mean, there is no formula or no one way to be an artist and so every artist's career looks really different and that was also something we wanted to highlight on the podcast well and I think along that line of everyone's got to have money coming from somewhere and so if you're not making it work just with your art like what are the choices that you make outside of that that align with your values or not and then how does that play into how you see your work and and even the choices you make for your work. Right now I'm talking to a couple of friends on the precipice of like, do I make the leap into the void and just go for it? And, you know, not knowing whether to trust that and which shows do you take around that time? Because that's going to be really significant in terms of where you make your money from your art. How do artists make choices? What inner voice is it that we're listening to? Or are we listening to an external voice? So that's something that sits with me a lot because I've relied on tarot more recently, but I think even with tarot, you're listening to something deeper because you can read a tarot card a lot of different ways, you know? I feel like I always end up making choices based on, or not always, lately, the last year, especially, uh, I won't be so absolute. I've been making a lot of my choices based on what quality of life do I want to have as I move through these decisions and what is going to work with my current level of mental health and what I can handle, which my tolerance for pretty much everything is so much lower than it has ever been in the past, which I'm sure is the case for many of us. And so I've had to take that a lot more seriously. And something about tarot, I was introduced to it by my sister-in-law the night Trump got elected. The... We were like, all right, we need to do something. I need something. Bring me those cards. Um, And it was like an instant connection. And I pulled tarot to help us figure out what when we were buying our house last year. And just over the years, it's been increasingly in my life. And Nicole and I have touched on it very briefly within probably like our last episode that we released on the podcast. But uh, I was... Nicole as well, but like I was raised in a very conservative Christian environment. And as I reached adulthood, I was like, oh, this evangelical life is not for me. Hard pass. I mean, it felt wrong all growing up, but I was like, I don't know. This is all I know. And so being able to, in adulthood, discover myself and find things that do feel really right in my soul, which also contribute to my creative practice 
but these are things that I consider in how I make my decisions for my business and for my life. And I don't know, I mean, they're not all good decisions, but I find if I can pause and look within and think like, does this really feel right in my soul? Whatever that may be, that helps to fuel it. And I have to trust that my artist side, the side of me that's like, you're going to figure it out, is going to figure it out. So I don't know. I also think that there's something with tarot for a lot of people does feel transgressive. I mean, I'm a Jew from New York and I did not have like an evangelical upbringing, but in my upbringing, that was very like more or less super secular. It was like, don't waste your time with that stupid stuff. It wasn't like that stuff will taint you or that is a entryway to a world that is dangerous in any way, which I know is, I think, more of the, I think, the Christianity bent on it. But it Oh, yeah, it was evil. I was told it was a tool right. of the devil and it was going to ruin my right. soul. And I was like, that sounds yeah, fun. Like, <laughs> Take me there. <laughs> but yeah, we. I was told that you couldn't value anything that you couldn't quantify. And so to have this world enter and open up, that was basically free interpretation. And then to actually have a heart connection which is also different from like an intellectual connection felt very like right <laughs> in, a, in a way of defining self against what you were brought up with just on that note when I first started looking at tarot I feel like I'm the gateway for my family mm-hmm. who is not super religious we're like friendly Christian you know Christmas tree go to mass occasionally on a holiday Um, My dad grew up really Catholic and then kind of just didn't participate after he left the house. It's not like they're opposed and my parents even like astrology, but it just wasn't around. And I think it it was just too scary because it was the other. And so to bring it in, everyone totally loves it and everyone's super supportive and is getting readings for Christmas and stuff. But I'm just like, well, why isn't this around? I don't know. I guess it just never there was no access point before this because I think maybe even our parents' generation, it was just really weird. If that wasn't your thing, it was so weird. Whereas now we're kind of going through this phase where it's totally mainstream and more friendly because of all the decks are different colors. And, you know, I don't know. There's something to that. Like it's been goopified. Goopified. I don't even think I knew I was an Aquarius until I became an adult. And I was like, what does being born on February 8th mean? And then I was like, wait, that's right, though. And then I just kept digging in from there. And every once in a while, I'll, you know, do a full deep dive into the chart and like try to understand it all. I just, you know, look for confirmation of what makes sense to me. But yeah, wasn't raised with it as an option, but I really wish I had been. But who knows if it would have been cool to me if it had been an option based on my personality, probably not. (laughs) I feel like Amanda's been my gateway to a lot of this as well, like whether tarot or astrology, like horoscopes. Um, She was also the one to introduce me to the Enneagram. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm still like learning. They all seem like ways of just further understanding our self. And like you were saying, Sarah, you're interpreting it all through your own lens. So there's this open-endedness to it. And I was just thinking about what you were saying earlier about 
how are you making choices, whether with external or internal influences. And I feel like that is always the heart of, you know, everything, trying to make these decisions as an artist about what's right for yourself, for your life. So I kind of look at all of these things as guideposts and conversations we would have with other artists. You're absorbing everything, but then you have to put it through your own filter to figure out what might be applicable or would this work for me? And for me, it's always this process of trying to further trust my own intuition. And I don't know, maybe this is a Libra characteristic, but I tend to be um, at times indecisive or like to look at things from a lot of different perspectives and have a hard time committing to decisions. That's Um, literally the trademark Libra. (laughs) The textbook definition. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely true. And so I feel like a lot of whether they're just decisions related to career or work or even within my own creative practice, my painting is really process oriented. And it's just this whole exercise in trying to trust your intuition and instincts without second guessing and create this safe space for yourself where you're thinking without thinking and entering into this flow state. I feel like a lot of artists are seeking after that. And so I think painting helps me is that centering practice. I'm always trying to take that into other areas of my life and trust whatever that inner instinct or intuition is. Um, Once you've digested all of these external things, you're just trying to quiet all of those voices and figure out what, you know, feels like the next best or next right step for you. Thinking about those voices that you're trying to override, like the self-doubt that creeps in and interrupts our ability to interpret our own best next step. I don't know... um, kind of curious like what that looks like for you guys and have you been able to identify what that voice is and what that voice does or what has the process been like in terms of learning that? Yeah I feel like throughout the last couple years I've gotten a lot better at recognizing when something is rooted in anxiety or fear because a lot of those feelings were so heightened throughout the pandemic and throughout everything that was happening in the world. Like something I'm always trying to battle against is doing things or allowing myself to dwell too much in this place of fear, whether it's the fear of not knowing what's going to happen next or how I'm going to be able to support myself through my work or the fear of if I say yes to this thing, will it lead me, you know, down the right path? Those are like the question, the noise that you're talking about, like all these questions that swirl and cloud your judgment. So I think trying to cultivate this this attitude or spirit of, um, I don't know, I feel like the voice that's telling you what to do is optimistic or positive by nature. There's this internal dialogue. What's the worst thing that could happen (laughs) is maybe the impulse, but then also what's the best thing that could happen? What are you striving for? I think this is where the physical world and the metaphysical world intersect. Like, do you take physical steps or what are the actions that are paired with this attempt to try to change your thought patterns. Cause I know for me, and I'm not really good about this right now cause I'm so busy, but just going to the studio, mapping off the time that I'm going to be there, even if I don't feel like it kind of like going to the gym or something where you're like, I have this time on this day and this is when I go. And even if I don't want to, I'm going to just be there. And then usually by the time you get there, you're like, Oh, this is great. I'm here. I'm doing it. Um, but stuff like that, where you don't have to feel like it's a good thing. And that's where the doubt is just doing it anyway. And at that point, if you feel horrible, by the time you get to the studio, you can leave. 
if it's really that bad, but it usually isn't. <laughs> so. Like bailing on a workout because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Very rare. <laughs> Very rare. Like there's been occasional times where I've gotten off that Peloton or whatever, but <laughs> not much. Like. I have a question. Has anybody ever had the experience of you turn in, you're trying to find your inner wisdom, what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go. You ask yourself deep questions about purpose. You do it. And then in retrospect, you absolutely made unequivocally the wrong choice. In no practical yeah. sense did it lead you towards any, which of course that is like, well, then that's the right choice because the wrong choice. But you kind of know what I'm saying, where you have had conviction on a spiritual level that you were in the right path. And then it's just a big fat bomb. I feel like that happens to me often when I check my inbox and I'm like, this amazing opportunity has come. It is mine. I feel it in my bones. It belongs to me. And then I'll get like a follow-up email the next day and they're like, actually, we decided to go in a completely different direction, disregard all of our contacts. And I'm like, but it was right. Never talk to us again. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you You reached out to me, though. What What just happened? But I feel like I, I get my expectations and hopes up really hard on things that I think are going to happen. And then I'm like, okay, was the lesson to adjust my expectations? Is that what I was supposed to get out of this whole endeavor? But yeah, that's interesting. I feel like <laughs> hurrying if I'm making a decision and I think oh I don't know if I should do that and I'm back and forth and I get really in my head about it and then I'm kind of like dissociate and I'm like it's going to be great and I imagine the best possible outcome and then I think because I did this like recently about something and it wasn't really a big deal in the end but then I didn't give myself the space to actually get beyond that moment of thinking it's a good idea to wait a day or something to then really think with it and sit with it to then think it's a good idea the next day or like really use any like logical work around it. Like I don't make charts or lists. I think maybe that would help. But if I just jump into something, usually it's not a good idea. Do you have an example, Liz? Yeah. I feel like that was coming from a, I mean, that was I, a really specific yeah, question. I, I <laughs> feel like I have done a lot of searching, having certainty, and then leapt into <laughs> something that absolutely backfired. I mean, examples are coming up are, um, okay. So when I, <laughs> when I used to teach at the San Francisco Art Institute, there were a lot of opportunities to be exploited, basically, where you could be asked to give labor in all of these different situations. Hey, do you want to interview prospective graduate students and do you want to help repair the entire gallery after an exit or you know just different ways to get involved and for a large part of my life and I think becoming a parent has changed this really conflated like putting my energy into a world that I was interested in as all equivalent so if I participated by giving my labor away at SFAI to talk to prospective graduate students, if I had really been asked about it at the time, I would have been like, this amazing. I'm part of the community. I'm building relationships with the next group of students who might come in. And then I'm talking to other faculty. And although maybe that is true-ish, there there's also 
also this way in which I, in retrospect, lost the thread of what it means to protect your time and labor and your assets, basically. And so, like, how do you just not jump into things and spread so much that you fizzled out like a big, bright star? So that's one. It's not like I live with regret about any of that. I don't. But it's a lesson I've learned so hardcore that everything I do in my life now is basically the polar opposite. Fair enough. <laughs> I was going to say that's really interesting because it comes up for us on, um, on our podcast a lot too, but more around this idea of setting boundaries and what criteria do you have for yourself in saying yes to an opportunity. And I think that's something that has evolved with age and I don't know, maybe it's also career stage. Like we talk about this impulse or this feeling of having to say yes to everything and just take on everything, especially when you're starting out, because you just don't know where things are going to lead. So I think maybe initially it was coming from this place of feeling like, well, we just have to experiment and you never know what's going to happen. And so we're just saying yes. And we had more energy back then too. So as our, our life responsibilities grow and as we've gotten a little older, we've started to realize that we can't do everything all of the time and have had to figure out what's important to us or learn the hard way by being stretched too thin. Um, I think that's something that, I mean, Amanda and I talk about this all the time. We just struggle with chronically. I feel like I'm uh, hopefully recovering, but like still fall into uh, the workaholic mindset a lot of the time and just, you know, stretching myself too thin. And so I think trying to figure out like, are all of these opportunities created equal? What is really important to you or what's actually, you know, possible for my capacity at this point in time? I just relate to what you're saying. And it's something we've also talked about with, with a lot of other artists, like how are they deciding what to say yes or no to? I mean, it also sounds a lot like dating. If anybody has ever dated somebody with pure conviction that it was like the right person. And then later the big reveal was it wasn't, you know? Right. Like, you put like so much energy so into much. it and you're like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Well, that's where I think it becomes borderline. It's like desperate act. Not Maybe I'm thinking about my dating efforts, but the idea that when you go after something with that energy of not valuing yourself to the level that you should. But although I would say like when you're younger and don't really know anyone or haven't really done anything yet, doing everything is a good way to get to know people. And you could do that for like a year <laughs> or something. And so I don't think that's bad, but I do think, yeah, you get to a certain stage and you're going to like burn out completely. Just thinking about that inner voice. If there's any fear around if I don't do this, what is going to happen? And that's like your driving force for doing it. I think that's where I run into problems. And I think that's what I meant about jumping into it without giving myself that space to decide. Because I think if you're acting out of fear, you're kind of only going to get fear in return. It's like the law of the universe, you know, the energy you put in, you're going to get out of it. And so as I've had more time and space in part because of traveling alone and then in part because of the pandemic reevaluating my motives before taking something on has been a huge part about how I've been like trying to create a new more sustainable life although I will say I totally work too much and I don't know I don't know how people don't 
in San Francisco, you know, it's just so hard, but, um, or anywhere as an artist, but that's a different conversation. So that reminds me of two things. One is I feel like it is so hard whenever you talk about anything practical in art world to understand who has family money and who doesn't. And all of these conversations people have, how can you really get to the bottom line if you don't know who has family money and who doesn't? Sort of end of story or who's married to somebody or... I love that. You're like, put on a badge already. Like just (laughs) put it on your TV, put it out there so we all understand and then we can just relax a little bit. And that is like, honestly, like on the, you know, cable news where they have the stock market going down the bottom. That's always what I'm thinking whenever I'm talking to anybody about anything where it comes to like practical and time is, and my parents are helping me support my child. Full transparency. But but still, I feel like that's the artist podcast by Michael Shaw, I believe his name is. That's the premise of that entire podcast is talking about the oil underneath the hills or whatever. His whole thing is like, how are people making it? And then this like secret world of how people are actually making it because it's such a rarefied environment to be at the top level of the art world. And I do know a couple people like my friend Ivy in New York, who is not being supported by anyone, but she's working 70 plus hours in the studio and does have one assistant, but that's not sustainable either. I don't know how she does it. And so you can be high functioning, but at some point, either you're going to break or like you need this invisible support to make the art world accessible to you. I don't know. Yeah. I know we, it's important to us on beyond the studio to try to have conversations of like, how did you actually support your art business while you were building it? Yeah. Were you the one supporting the art business while you were building it? Did you need support building it? Like what was involved in that? And trying to ask just to get clear and honest like one of the things that we had talked about when we first started the podcast was as social media rises and becomes more popular and it changes the way that we view the world and ourselves and our actual friends and relationships it totally can we can I swear on your podcast oh absolutely it totally fucks with our perception And that also happens in the art world in various spheres and degrees, myriad ways all over the place, where we present this almost like, uh, and I say we as like collective we humans, creatures of this modern society and world, we paint this very smoke and mirrors view of what our lives look like, where everything's beautiful, here's the curated version And I'm not going to tell you about all the rejections that I got, or I'm not going to tell you about the fact that my parents are paying for all this, or I'm not going to tell you about the fact that, you know, I have multiple jobs supporting this business, and this is not the thing that's financially supporting me. And it's hard to talk about, because I think we've been trained not to talk about it, but it's really not that hard to talk about. Yeah, people do have family money. I mean... I don't care. As long as you're a good person and you're contributing to society as an artist, you're lucky and you, you know, lucked out that that's your life. And so it's more just the idea that that's not happening. That is 
messing with everyone's head or that there's not no offense to my friends who have husbands that are taking care of them basically and I, I know that they all worked very hard before you know that happened but where basically they don't have to work because the bills are taken care of you know so it's like as long as we just know that the playing field isn't fair and just can talk about it in a real way maybe that's enough because ultimately I don't know life is not fair so that's okay karma you know I guess I feel like it's potentially it's your karma to not have that life and maybe they had a really shitty one in the last life and this is their reward so I like to give them the benefit of the doubt Part of what I think podcasting does is create a platform to be able to talk about some of these things that in another context might be uncomfortable. To what extent can you ask somebody else about the different privileges they've had or how do they really make this work? And so I think part of just going back to the initial question of motivations for starting a podcast was to be able to create a space to ask some of these questions in a way that was socially acceptable. Because <laughs> in addition to there being just a lot of mystery in the art world in general, there are a lot of misperceptions around how artists are being supported and it just serves to kind of further create this bubble of exclusivity where artists, regardless of their background or privilege, don't have an understanding of what it might take to break into something or get to that that next level. And so I think we want to talk about the, the individual circumstances along with the collective or some of the systemic challenges. And so I think all of these things factor into, again, that question of like, how do you make decisions for yourself? How are you going to move forward? Looking at your own life circumstances, what kind of support do you have, whether that's financial, emotional, like who's in your life that can kind of help you down this creative path. I think all of those are essential questions and, and just being more open and talking about those things does actually open a pathway for other artists because the more transparent we are, the more examples we have and the more pathways uh, just by being open about what, what the realities are, what it really looks like. And I think that in itself is really valuable for other artists to be able to hear and learn from. And then again, like make decisions based on what they feel is best for them. Um, but like you said, just knowing what's... Yeah, and ultimately, if you're an artist, your patronage has to come from somewhere. People have to buy your paintings or your whatever, your sculpture, and you have to get support financially or it's not going to work. So whether it's, you know, a relative or people who are buying your paintings, in the end, it comes down to that. I think one thing I don't want to do is just... Um, kind of say all money is bad, you know, or having having a lot of money is like a bad thing. I don't know that we're going down that path. Oh, yeah. And there's no judgment on the circumstances in which anyone comes from. And some people come from money. Some people have to work really hard to find their money. Some people have to work really hard to find some emotional support. Some people have to work really hard to find community support. It's like we're all, we all come to this earth with with our own set of whatever and we figure out how to deal with it and the hope is that we use what we have to support our community and to leave this world better than we came into it or you know if there's something we can leave on it may it be good yes uh, totally and like whether we have means to do that with financial funds or not, it's like we, we find a way to use the resources we have regardless of what those resources look like. Absolutely. Cultural capital is huge. Well, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, okay. cultural capital, prestige capital, like all the stuff that especially the art world trades in that isn't always monetary. But I do think why it's so hard to talk about this, like straight up conflict of interest, man. That is why it's hard to talk about because you don't want to offend the wrong people who are going to buy your paintings. Oh, yeah. The last thing you want to do is offend your clientele. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I think need, you also we bring need up them so much. <laughs> we love them, actually. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for allowing us to art. <laughs> I mean, there are so many different forms of support that we all receive. Something, though, that I was just reminded of is, is like one of the questions we had or like maybe misconceptions earlier on um, as like newly graduated art students was just um, and now I think we're really careful about doing is conflating like different types of success, like just because an artist has reached a certain stage of career or they're exhibiting in prestigious galleries or they're in the Winnie Biennial um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're able to like financially support a practice. And so I think like that distinction was also important in realizing that all of these forms of success are not sort of created equal and one doesn't necessarily follow or is linked to the other and separating out some of that too and goes back to identifying what your own personal view of success is and the way that I think about it now is those are two separate goals trying to achieve financial stability for yourself or your practice is sort of one end and then whatever other kind of artistic goals you might have um, related to your creative career or whatever this looks like sometimes those things might be linked together, but I think some of that had to do with just the like air of mystery around the art world and being shocked, realizing that these artists that we look up to, they're not, you know, they're still working multiple jobs or they're trying to juggle um, a lot of different things, um, e even while they've achieved like all of these other successes. And um, so I think being able to unpack all of that and one of the first episodes, actually, that I listened to of the side woo, um, Sarah, was, I forget the guest that you had on, but it was all about money as energy. and Oh, Nikki. Yeah. That was the first episode. Well, yeah. I mean, she's such a great example, and I almost just brought her up um, before you even said that, because talking about that made me think of how Barack Obama basically only paid off his student debt because he sold that book as he was running for president, which oh. is kind of something that, you know, in our generation, you would not have expected that but now I'm not surprised because you know student debt is a national crisis and that is Nikki's podcast that she was running called matter of life and debt all about student debt in America mm. well I don't know this might be a kind of a change of subject now but you just reminded me of something else and I, I did want to ask you about something you had said earlier about the motivations behind doing something and I don't know if this at all connects with Nikki's like philosophy around kind of the energy that she brings to money, but I'm wondering if you have felt like that motivation um, or intention that you're bringing to something has made a difference. Have you been able to see examples where the intention that you've brought to something has, you know, been really important to the outcome? Yeah. It's hard because right now I have some credit card debt from like the last like year or two that same. Yeah, I heard, you know, I heard that episode where you guys talked about trying to pay off your debt. And so I think that's a thing when you're a freelance or you're trying to like get your business up and running. It is really easy to accrue debt, especially if you live in the Bay Area or, you know, even part time. And so I don't want to say that like 
wow, I'm doing so great. But I do feel like this opportunity came up in this like magical, the house sitting opportunity that I had. Mm. Like I left Mexico from the residency, was in San Francisco one day before moving here to stay for like nine months where I house sat. And that buffered me through the entire pandemic, the pre-vaccination pandemic. And I just felt like it was because I was on the right path and I was trusting my art. I was running my own business at the time. And I, I can't say more than things like that happened to me only when I'm like really trusting my gut and not going with the obvious choice of getting the job at the, you know, accounting firm or becoming an executive assistant or whatever that would make me money in the short term. But I just don't think that things like that come up when you're not following your path. I think it's like, that's all about struggle and earning things the hard way. And it doesn't have to be that way. Although right now it'd be nice to have that and pay off my debt, but <laughs> um, yeah, like a more recent example was I'm working as a recruiter now, which I know Nicole, you were doing some recruiting for CCA. Oh, for Micah, actually. This was back in Baltimore, though. Oh, Micah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Oh, awesome. And so this is more like corporate recruiting. So it's kind of like a sales job. I don't know if it was like that for you. Um, elements of, yeah, more counseling, but there's definitely, you know, repping your school. <laughs> this is like straight up, you earn a commission when you place oh, okay, someone yeah. into a job. A couple of days ago, it was really pretty early in the morning still. And I was just like, oh not getting any traction. I, you know, haven't heard back from anyone who's supposed to email me. Nothing is happening. Normally by now I'd be getting emails or phone calls or whatever. And so I finally just was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to keep pushing this. I'm gonna, I have some errands to do. I have some art stuff I'm going to go do. And I left and I went to the post office. And while I was in the post office, this hiring manager started calling me like three times in a row. I know that sounds like a small thing, but you know, when things resonate with you physically, like it resonated me like, oh, I had to leave. I had to go do the thing I was supposed to do to take care of me. And then stuff will come to me and I don't have to go out and get it in this way that's uncomfortable and fear-based. Cause I felt like I was just sitting at home spiraling. And when I left and did my own thing, people came to me instead. And so things like that, I think are more significant because you're bringing energy towards you instead of having to go and chase it. One of the things about trying not to make fear-based decisions, you know, where if you could like sum it all up, what does spirituality do but help you make decisions with less fear and more faith, you know, of whatever it is, whatever stripe it's happening, whether it's a crystal you're holding or a tarot deck or whatever it is, it's literally to essentialize, to help you make decisions with less fear. This just reminded me so strongly of this one example, 2014, man. And I had to say no to a class to teach. And if you are an adjunct, like you don't fucking say no to anything. You're like, yeah, I'll teach there. I'll teach there. I'll teach up. I'll teach down. I'll teach, you know, <laughs> up my, uh, everywhere. You just say yes. And I taught darkroom classes and I wanted to get pregnant and I had to say no I mean, I'm still like using like a scandalous tone of voice, but I cannot even tell you what it was like to say no to a darkroom class where I was like, no, I can't do that. I don't want to, I don't want to teach darkroom when I'm pregnant. 
And um, it was one of the scariest things that I have done is actually say no to something that I was so convinced was never come back, never, ever. And it did. It came back. And I really feel like I had to have that experience of being forced to say no to something that I'd been so desperate for. And you gain so much power from saying no. And even if it feels like it may not be the right choice at the time, being able to confidently afterwards, that was ballsy. And I'm proud of myself for having made such a bold move or being able to to do something that I was scared shitless to do, but like felt right in my bones. And, you know, when it when it's a choice like that, it's like, what, what choice can yeah. you make? Um, and I think that a lot of times, like I had made, this is a very different kind of decision, but I had made the decision to phase out producing wholesale for my small business, which has been its life force for a little while, but it was really exhausting. And I was like, the time and money and energy, something has to give. And like, I can't give more than I'm giving. So I have to find a way to take some back. And it was terrifying to be like, I'm just going to start saying no to orders as they come in. And I'm going to say no to clients. And I'll like, say no to money, which I don't feel comfortable doing because it definitely feels like a very desperate need all the time. But by saying that, it almost not only shifted the universe in a direction of like, she ain't going to do that. Don't bother her with that. Her time is more valuable. We respect her time. But it also shifted that attitude in myself. Why was I doing that? I was going down with, with blinders and I wasn't able to see that I was going down a really stupid path that... I I didn't have to be going down, but it was a really scary decision to decide to not go down that path anymore. But then allowing myself to say no, I was like, oh, this is what, this is what a little self-respect feels like. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Nicole, when you had first asked us about this question, like I had just listened to one of your podcasts where you were talking about something getting canceled on you and then your goal was to pay off your debt and you had a financial goal for the year And even though something was canceled, something else came through almost in the exact amount. Can you tell that story maybe really quick? Yeah, totally. I think, you know, Liz, when you were just talking about trusting the timing of things, that resonated with me because I feel like that's such a big part of it too, is detaching yourself from the specifics of like, I need this thing to happen at this moment in time. And those subtle power shifts can be really reassuring to feel like this is going to happen in its own time and or it's going to happen at the right time and I just kind of need to trust that is going to be true. We've we've told this story on the pod on our podcast a couple of times when Amanda and I have just you know shared in our own career journeys and um, I have to say I didn't I never really put a lot of stock in this idea of manifesting or how important the mindset piece of it was because so much of our conversations center on the practical and I feel like you can't have one without the other but um, but this was a, an example where I, I really do feel like that was like the the piece and um, I don't know if I can even fully explain it but I you know I had accrued um, all of this credit card debt from the first couple of years when I lived in San Francisco and just underestimating what that transition was going to be like and then trying to make it work as an artist and I was juggling a lot of part-time and freelance gigs in addition to my studio practice at that time and after a couple of years I just realized that wasn't working and so I um, 
I shifted gears and I had started working full-time on the career development side at California College of the Arts. Um, but I had also, you know, set myself this goal of paying off my credit card debt within that next year. And I felt like the money was going to have to come through other sources. Like it wasn't, you know, that was enough to cover other bills, but I, it wasn't going to have enough to be able to do it with that alone. And so I just had this number in mind and I really kept trying to visualize what it was going to feel like to pay that off. And Amanda and I have talked about other resources that we were taking in. Like this book was recommended to us by one of our podcast guests called You're a Badass at Making Money. And so I was just really trying to feed myself with all of um, these tools and reminders that you know this is possible and really train myself to think about what what that reality was going to feel like and within a couple of months i had gotten this commission all of a sudden to do this like large sculptural installation this was at the end of 2019 and the budget for that project was almost the exact amount of like credit card debt i was trying to pay off so you know i was really excited i felt like this was going to be how I was going to do this. I'm going to do this project and pay off all my debt. And a few months later, the pandemic happened. So we had started work on it. And fast forward a couple months um, to try and make a long story short, the project got canceled. So I had like half of the money, like the deposit I was able to put towards it. But I had to think of another way for it to happen. And around the same time, I again unexpectedly sold a couple of really large paintings through the artist gallery here and the amount for that was the exact you know leftover amount that I had um, to put towards my debt so I was able to meet the goal with again not really a clear idea of how it was going to happen but I, I do feel like the intention was really clear and some of those things I guess like you've been saying you set in motion earlier on the the project and like the painting sales sort of happened unexpectedly, but I, I feel like they're, you know, the result of things that were seeded like months or years ago. I mean, that's probably the clearest example in my own life of just kind of trying to manifest something. And then, you know, it didn't look, happen in the way or like along the time timeline that I thought it was going to, but it, it did come to fruition. And I feel like that was a big lesson for me. I love that story. The one thing that kind of haunts me is the idea that when you're manifesting, it's as easy to manifest $5 as it is $100,000, <laughs> meaning they're equal in the eyes of the universe that is doing the producing of the manifestation thing. So I don't know. I just wanted to put that out there for food for thought. I always wonder, am I not thinking big enough? If I'm asking for the $1,000 to pay off this credit card, why wouldn't I ask for a hundred thousand and a new house and a car? And why wouldn't I manifest more than I need instead of focusing on the small thing? But I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that. I feel like this conversation is leading me to do some mindset shifts so that I can work on this debt. I mean, oh, sorry, my cat sneezed. That's probably going to be in my That was audio. so cute. Oh my God, that was your cat. <laughs> hey, Sprout. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was Brussels sprout, a little tuxedo. She's off camera, but she's within microphone range. I feel like these things build um, on themselves, though. You know, it's like once you feel, and maybe this just contributes to the shift away from a fear-based scarcity mentality and towards something that feels more abundant or self-empowering once you've gotten to taste you're like wow this is what it feels like and I can do this things are within reach and I feel like it just starts to expand your idea of what's possible so that you can get to those bigger 
pieces where maybe a thousand dollars maybe that seems like a lot initially and then once you've achieved that you're able to think a little bit bigger and so i feel like this ripples outward and um yeah i think so too and i think part of the manifesting is how you move through the world and are you making choices on a daily basis i've noticed just my energy even just putting into normal tasks or you know, the time that you knock over the milk versus you catch yourself right before you hit the milk. Like what's that energy shift that you're maybe not hurrying or you're not annoyed by something while you're doing something else. There's just this level of presence that I think partly mm-hmm. just being alone more because of the pandemic. And I I'm putting into my life in a way that I'm like catching these moments where that little voice talks to you. And then I'm like, maybe I should do that today. Cause I'm thinking about it. And normally I'd be like, Oh, I'm too tired. I have too much going on and I wouldn't do it. But I feel like I'm catching those more. And I'm hoping that those are the building blocks to like be more successful at manifesting things. Okay. I have one last thing. One of the things I think is hard about incorporating any type of spirituality, however it's defined, and the art world is that the art world is really so focused on good and bad. There's so much evaluation all the time of everything, of everybody, of every conversation. And this, like, it's about the journey. Like nothing could be less true than when you have a a studio visit. I mean, Jesus, nobody cares about your journey. Or if they actually like your work to begin with, then they may yeah. want to hear about totally. your journey and they can use that as a talking point to sell that yeah. painting. Or but... like once you're already famous, you know, you can have a weird, fun journey. For example, spiritual based art. Let's say you get really into it and, you know, somebody takes like a spirituality and art class and they draw like mandalas for a month and it's like the first time they've done art since they were a kid and they're like loving the mandalas and then you bring it to somebody in the art world and you're like look at my mandalas and like everybody basically is like oh I'm just going to turn them into paper airplanes and throw them into a pond because that's not even art you know that's just you and your mandala and it's this sounds very cynical but I do feel like there has always been a divide because the very thing that brings you comfort in this life, which is, you know, fundamentally feeling like you can, can act without being judged, that you can make choices that yeah, unconditional, unconditional and, you know, there's not much I found in the art world besides the actual act of making the art that fits that, you know, that fits that rubric. Anyway, so it's basically like people who have felt unseen and unheard by their families and have like deep emotional trauma from that for in varying degrees go to a workplace that's going to inherently embody those characteristics and then the more successful you get the more you're going to experience that until finally you break through and then you're like the ivory tower untouchable who can't relate to their family and it's more alienation <laughs> There you are alone on your tower, traumatized. <laughs> See, you're basically just doomed to be traumatized by your colleagues and everyone in the art world if, every step of the way. I wonder if it's, and <laughs> I was talking to Nicole about this a little bit the other day, but this is like a very high thought for a non-high moment. Do we not know what it looks like or, or understands what it looks like to, to be an artist, to feel 
art because we're so focused on the what we think it should look like and how we can monetize it. And the artist gets to escape and melt into the spirituality of the creative process. But so much of the art world is the business of the art. And it comes with so much toxicity that it's how can you have a spirituality in how you run your business, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like, maybe that's the question we were asking all along, but. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Well, it's so interesting to me that there is this resistance or lack of acknowledgement around there being any kind of spiritual aspect to it, because if you were deciding to be an artist, maybe it's a language gap. We're not using the same language to talk about it, but you are engaging in acts of faith every day. You're trusting that the work that you're putting in, you know, you're creating something that you haven't seen before. (laughs) Unlike you know, the broadest level in your studio, you're trying to create this life that you haven't seen before for yourself. You're going through these exercises of trust, whether it's in your own ability or in the path before you. And so I feel like this stepping into the unknown and having trust and faith in that is a form of spirituality. And so maybe this is part of like why you wanted to start the side woo is to uncover these spiritual practices that maybe we all have but don't want to admit to. And I think we feel similarly about business. This is something that we all have to contend with and sort of figure out within the arts, but people don't like to talk about it or acknowledge it. And wanting to peel back the curtain on all of those things and recognize this is, you know, this is all part of our experience as people. I I, I like your question, Liz, but I don't know where that comes from either. Where is this resistance? I think it's inherently not cool spirituality is like earnest and vulnerable and not exclusive. And that's everything that doesn't totally work in capitalism. I I wonder if it's a model is just so not compatible with capitalism that unless someone's really spiritually evolved themselves, they wouldn't necessarily go into a business that's very built on exclusivity and judgment and conditional love and you know fads and coolness they just just inherently wouldn't be drawn to that community and so maybe it's just the people who are in it and then everyone else feels like they have to fall in line because if you want to be a player you have to play that game i know that there are artists social practice artists who are more about community building and abundance and I just saw the Gruff Williams movie that he shot about Bay Area artists called Tell Them We Were Here. And he paints a picture that the Bay Area is home to people who are more um, socialist in nature and really about community building and not about jumping on this bandwagon towards like capitalist commercial success or stardom, even if they do end up getting successful. For example, Alicia McCarthy, she had this huge mural downtown in paid all of the artists that helped her the same amount that she was getting. And so I think that could be possible, but that's not the model that the Basel art world is dealing with. So how would you, other than having a microcosm like we have here with that specific artist community, how would you make that scale up? I don't, because it would, a lot of people would lose money. The people who invest in art, like it's stock would probably lose money. And then some artists would lose money at first, but then I think we would all be able to support each other more in the long run because it would be more sustainable. But to do that, talk about leap of faith, that would be a huge shift. I don't know that that could happen. 
imagine it would probably have to involve some serious dismantling of the existing systems, but I definitely lean more towards the socialist vein. So I'm like, yeah, let them lose money. There was a quote that I had heard that I just keep thinking about. I can't remember where I heard the quote. I think it was on the podcast, Hurry Slowly, in an interview. And one of the things that they had said, and this was specifically on the issue of like the wealthy versus poverty, but I think we could take similar understanding of other disparities. But they were like, so often we try to think like, what is the problem with poverty? We have to go to the poor. We have to ask them what their problems are. But the real issue with poverty is wealth and is that folks are able to have extreme wealth so much to the fact that like some folks can't have any personal wealth. So it's like the answer might involve people losing money and maybe that's something we have to accept. And, you know, of course, that's something that I'm going to pitch and be like, let them lose the money. Let's go. But, you know, adding to the discomfort of financial conversations, problem of people with wealth having the power to make the decision is part of why we have these inequities. But I also think, you know, give the mandala a platform too would be important. You know, if I could, you know, take some of the money and the elitism out, I'd also like to take some of the good art out and just have the glory of the not good art, you know, which obviously would need to have another name because nobody wants to be branded. (laughs) You're here because you're not good. I don't know. I self-brand as just fine art. And I'm like, good good enough art. Wait, is that your brand name? No, it's Close Call Studio, but (laughs) explained just just fine fine art. I would love to throw out kind of the standards of everything being judged by the end goal. And and if, if that could be taken away and we could have it only be part of the conversation as opposed to the entire conversation, I think that would leave a lot more room for spirituality. You did a tarot reading, Amanda, for the podcast. I listened to the episode the other day. Maybe I'll pull some cards and like it'll help me come up with some questions or something to think about. And I just pulled three cards. Let me scroll back to what I wrote. I asked, what do we need to know going into this conversation? And I pulled the seven of cups in reverse. And I interpreted that as like, we're making choices that are in in alignment with our values, can confirm. Uh, I pulled a card with the question, uh, what can we ask or maybe even expect of each other? And I got King of Wands, which I interpreted as leading with intention and powerful opportunity. Again, can confirm, feeling all of this energy from our conversation. Creative leadership, I would say, I would add to that. Oh yeah, for sure. And I asked, uh, what do we need to ask or maybe communicate or understand about ourselves? And I got the Queen of Wands in reverse, which I interpreted as self-respect, confidence, and kind of a deep knowing of self, which definitely was something that we talked about in our conversation. I love so that was my, my pre-call tarot poll. And I actually was looking at the Queen of Wands reversed when I thought about the self-doubt topic, because I feel like that's the thing that keeps me from making art and being the confident Leo energy that is my North Node. Mm-hmm. It's all about self-doubt and just whatever that voice is. Do you, Should I pull a card for each of us? Yeah, oh, sure. That sounds fun. Energy to hold going forward. Nicole, oh, I love it. You. Oh, okay. If, if you're okay with yeah, it, I love are you it. okay with that? Definitely. Okay. Well, you got two. 
So, because it came out twice. Page of Pentacles, which is very you, and I'm still so surprised that you don't have Capricorn in you. But, okay. Um, so Queen of Pentacles is all about this woman knows where her money is and where her resources are and you're tracking everything with like an eagle eye mm. and very much in charge of her material world um and then the page of pentacles is more about studying and learning about money at least this is the the way that i read it so i wonder if this is you but you can continue to invest energy in learning how to make your money work for you it's funny because it like even just does that i know i like how even visually they're connected that is very descriptive of where I feel like I'm at in this moment of time. It's a transitional period for me, and I've been thinking a lot about these things. Amanda, are you ready? I'm ready. I consent. Oh. So you got three of cups, which is like celebration with ABBA, because this deck yes. is Morgan Greer deck, so it's very 70s. <laughs> love it. Oh, my God, I love it. Um, you also got strength. Oh, I'll take it. Which, yeah, I feel like um, talking about self-doubt and like facing down the demons to get what you need to get done. Um, and this is celebrate your network. Um, I mean, do you have something coming up? Well, Nicole and I have something coming up. I mean, my personal art business has been going kind of slow, so I'm trying to think, okay, what can my next collection be? I need to make some stuff so I can make some money. But Nicole and I are trying to make some moves with the podcast and we have some speaking opportunities coming up. Oh, cool. Okay. Are you going to be partnering with a third person? Not that I know. Well, podcast. Well, maybe. Collaborative events or series. I guess, yeah, yeah, when you interview people, that's like a third person. Because it feels to me like this is a group of people. I don't know. Okay. Interesting. Well, it seems very positive. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll keep thinking on those. Okay, Liz. (laughs) Oh, God. Are you kidding me? Is it really? Is it like a big swords festival? (laughs) (laughs) You got like the worst card. Oh, me. What does that mean? Last time. Um, Do you remember that? Yeah. So are you just exhausted, though? That's probably part of what it is. Are you giving me the nicest interpretation of that card? No, that is what this card yeah, is. I'm like you're fucking ex- exhausted. And is someone being mean to you? Is that did I get that too? You got like the Sith Lord. Jesus. So okay, so you got the Ten of Swords, the Five of Swords, which in this deck is like loosely based on the Sith Lord who fights with um, Darth Vader. Like, it's kind of like that old guy. I don't remember what his name is. But, so it's the Ten of Swords and the Five of Swords? Is that what you Yes. And then you got King of Cups, which is about being, like, emotionally overwhelmed a little bit. Wasn't really what we were going for, but (laughs) um, it seems like maybe you're in a situation where there's, like, some slightly unfair, like, oppressive surroundings potentially a person um and but it could be just a situation like a workplace or um i'm so you know dating managing my son's type 1 diabetes um which i'm in a little bit of an existential place around what it really means to manage 
Are you feeling like pretty mad about it? Yeah. Like, recently I've gotten this card when the person's actually ready to lash out and be kind of mean. Yeah. So it could be that that's your energy instead of it. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling a little aggressive about that. I have swords is so intense too. It, they're both pretty intense, but I think it's because you're tired and you're overwhelmed. So I would say just because your card was so intense, maybe let me pull out a, what your strategy should be <laughs> just so we can get on out of there. So Ace of Swords, like new, new, fresh mentality. Okay, good. That's all you got to do is just have a new mentality about it. Well, we are here to support you through all of this. I got Eight of Wands which is like having all your balls in the air, throwing things at the wind and seeing what lands, which is very much my life. I'm kind of transitioning out of my apartment and um, waiting on a couple of potential yeses or nos to determine where I'm going to live and what my next six months are going to be like. So that very much sounds right. But cool. I guess, does anyone have any like parting thoughts or, or thoughts, T-H-O-T-S? This isn't a parting thought, but I don't know if this will mean anything to you, Sarah, but I did find out my Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune are in Capricorn. I knew it. Oh my God. Because your podcast smacks of Capricorn vibes as a Capricorn moon. I can smell that. So <laughs> You that just taught me something about myself. I didn't even know. I love it. <laughs> I did not know that we were exuding such heavy cap energy. <laughs> it's just your inherent professionalism and you're just so reasonable. You know, even when you were talking about just some of the hard stuff of the pandemic and I just felt like, man, these guys, they've got it together, you know? Maybe. So. We just don't record when I cry. That's all. Totally. I feel like this conversation has been really insightful and I'm so glad that we did this. It's been fun to, I don't know, get new perspective. I feel like we never get to go this deep and it's just been a different dynamic and it's been really fun to get to know both of you on this level and also just get to cover all of these different topics about how all of these things intersect. And I was just trying to come in without expectation and see where things, you know, see where it went. And I really felt like we could have kept talking for hours more. So yeah, we should, I don't know, do this again. <laughs> I'm excited for this yeah. conversation. I would love that. And yeah. it was nice to meet you both. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank you for your time and, and, yeah. and go. Yeah, I hope I'll see you in the Bay Area sometime soon. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Till next time. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.